The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 358. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah. Good morning to you. And uh, guess hey, what, Chris. Noah? It's a big show today. I happen to know it because I just looked at the doc. Uh, I'll tell you more about that later. Now, actually, coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, Noah's going to round up some of the best remote desktop solutions from and to the Linux desktop. So not just managing Linux desktops, but also remote managing Windows machines from the Linux desktop. And I have a very special need for that, and I'll tell you more about that in the future. But let's just say, very soon, this is going to be a big requirement in my life, so I'm glad we're going through this right now. Also, in the news segment, the LibreOffice Camp has something very exciting to announce. Is SteamOS converging a little too far from Dev? GNOME 3.16's got some great features we'll tell you about and a little bit of Ubuntu phone news, plus some epic feedback. And of course, Noah, surprise, surprise, our picks. We're going to start there. So uh, let's start with our Runs Linux pick this week. It came in from uh, viewer Zach. Uh, his work runs Linux, and we've been asking the audience to send in their Runs Linux. And uh, so he did just that. He's been watching JB content for years, and uh, he took a video uh, uh, after Noah's request very kindly. To, uh, to show us this. Now, just a warning to you, audience members, if you're not familiar with what a data center sounds like, brace yourselves. Uh, for those of you who work in a data center, uh, you, will you will recognize the welcoming tones of all of those sweet humming server fans. Hey, guys. Uh, Zachary Hunsaker here. Um, Rats08 is my handle for the IRC. Um, don't go there very often, but uh, I'd like to a little bit more. Uh, as you see, I'm wearing my Linux Action Show t-shirt. Very excited. Um, about this runs Linux for you guys, um, and this is the NCAR Wyoming Supercomputing Center. Um, and so this is a supercomputing center, okay? Here we run Linux. Um, so you can see we have some IBM servers. Wow. This is uh, the Yellowstone Supercomputer. Wow! Um, it's still one of the top 50 fastest supercomputers in the world right now. Um, I'll go ahead and open up one of these racks for you guys. Um, as you can see, we have a ton of nodes packed inside this place. There's well over 6,000 compute nodes in total. Wow! Um, and a few management nodes that kind of help um, divvy out tasks and processing power to uh, um, and tasks so um, these compute <laughs> nodes can work on the, all that processing power that we have here. Um, you can find a whole lot of specs online about just how fast it is here. Um, we're in the petaflops uh, um, calculations, um, and it's pretty amazing here. Um, this is only one of the things That's that awesome. runs Linux here. Um, I'll go ahead, and when I get back to my workstation, I'll log in um, and show you guys uh, some of the cool things on uh, on Yellowstone. I'll run some commands on this supercomputer. Um, I'll show you the Linux kernel that we're running. Um, and the version of Linux that we're running on this machine. Um, but just thought you guys would like to see a couple more things besides the freaking amazing supercomputer we have. Wow. Um, just so you can see, cable management is amazing on these things. Uh, we had IBM come in here and they did all of that. Gold standard uh, there. A couple years ago. Uh, what I really want to show you guys is we have a couple servers over here. Um, this one's called Geyser. Uh -huh. Um, and what's really cool about this thing is if we come in the back here. Um, he's going. He's going into a room with glass doors where it's a it's a room inside the server room. This is this is kind of neat. 
Better close this door so we can keep these things cooled down. You come in the back here, probably can't see very well, um, but we have KVMs coming to the back of these machines. Um, this is basically our remote workstations. Um, we have people all over the company, scientists, that uh, if they want a GUI, they can log on to this. has a really, really high-end GPUs, a lot of them. Wow. Um, wow. And the cool thing is, is I just watched a seminar. Some of the guys gave. There, I'll come show you the front of this, too. Um, they gave a seminar, and uh, they were running GNOME before on these machines. Um, they switched to uh, Mate um, because uh, GNOME was using too much CPU power for some of the scientists. And I mean, they're doing a lot of their work over the network. So, wow. uh, big shout out to the Mate project. I'm really liking what they're doing. I, I'm still a GNOME user. Um, but like I said, I'll go log in now to my computer and run a couple commands for you guys, show you my workstation runs Linux as well. So, um, hope this is cool and yeah uh see you guys later thanks i uh the chat room says that uh, he one runs linux and i completely agree I i'll have to get that posted after the show so uh, we can embed that in the show notes for those of you on the audio because it is a real treat to see that uh that was really cool so is there any details in his email that you wanted to touch on yeah, so I, we can we can actually go through it just as if it was feedback. He sure. writes in and says, first off, I've been listening to all JB content for years now, and you guys never disappoint. A lot of things have been happening in my life lately. Most exciting things is I've recently offered a new job as a system administrator. Cool. This is where the run Linux comes from. First off, let me start by saying thank you. A couple of months ago, I was listening to one of your shows, and Linux Academy came up, so I decided to give it a shot. I've been using Linux since I was 14, but I've never been under the impression that I knew everything there is to know about Linux. I learned so much from Linux Academy in just a very short period of time. I'll soon be getting the Linux Plus certification. Well, a couple of weeks ago, a position came up at NWSC, the NCAR Wyoming Supercomputing Center near where I live. I jokingly threw my resume in the fray, and after two very technical interviews, they offered me the job. <laughs> Great. I attribute this to the good discussions I listen to on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, Linux Academy, and a lot of personal effort. Hey, oh. I've only been officially working in IT for a year since my formal education is in Spanish. Tell everyone that Linux is in very high demand skill right now. After they offered me the position, they said they had a plenty of Windows system admins <laughs> with 15-plus years of experience apply for the job, but that Linux was such a crucial skill, they decided to give me the huh. position. Huh. Keep up the great shows, Rats08. Huh. And so that is, I mean, this is a true success story for a number of different things. First of all, it's a success story for Linux Academy because they gave him the tools he needed to get, to get the formal education he needed to get the job. It's a success story for Jupiter Broadcasting. If you're, if you're, if you're a listener of the show or if you know anyone that, won't, that, you know, that can get involved with listening to the shows, that's how you participate in the discussion. And you can bet that those interviews that he had where they asked him technical questions, some of that stuff had been covered on the show. Show and somebody had asked a question and somebody else had responded to the question and and you know things like the system d debate and things like the 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 mirror versus wayland debate and stuff like that is all stuff that you you can you have time to critically think about that stuff 
you know, in an open, relaxed environment before you get down to your job literally depends on being yeah. able to answer these questions. That's a good point. You know, with a good I answer. I thought about and that. So, yeah. And so... Yeah, so so that that's a success story. And then, of course, what we keep coming back to, we go to these conferences, we go and we talk to people that are hiring people right now in the IT field, and, and what they're looking for is Linux skills. It's yeah. not Windows skills. Right. It's, it, you know, it, well, it's, it's Linux, and, and it's becoming more and more And I, I was beginning to wonder, you know, when he said that, you know, these uh, Windows admin who have 15 years, I wonder— 15 if, years. I wonder if part of it is Windows admins, because they're getting that— that far into the career if they're maybe becoming too costly. And so there's also right. now becoming incentive from a cost point for Linux. From And this isn't always great because there's also gray beard Linux admins and Unix admins, right. obviously. But there is a new fresh batch of Linux admins coming in that could, they could pay a slightly lower rate than they would maybe a Windows admin who's sitting on 15 years of experience. Personal opinion, I think it probably has more to do with the mentality of Windows admins than the mentality of, of Linux admins. How so? If you look at the of the majority of Linux users, the majority of of, uh, of you know of this audience, they are they are uh, you you rarely find people that say that can't be done or or, or I don't or I don't right. know how to do it. Or, I yeah. wasn't my 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 pet peeve my, drives me nuts. I wasn't certified for that version. I didn't go through oh, the training for that man. version. And that's actually you know, a thing. And, so, and yeah. you don't get that from Linux people. Right. You get that. We that, can that's build a that. Very yeah, we can build that. Thing. We can build that. We can. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know if that solution works, but l let me go find four pieces of software that we can string together to make to to yeah. to, to create a solution. Not I googled it and no such yeah. software exists. Let me tell you about the pipe. I could just pipe it to this and. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. I yeah. think that's a very real thing. And I, and if and and if I had to guess, if I if I was an employer and I was looking to, to hire people, that would be a major that would be a major setback for for from the Windows folks is that they have this mentality of if it's if it if it if it doesn't have an exe that I can download and double click on then it's not going to work right uh, so uh, wow that was Zach thank you so much for saying that and if you get a chance to record the video view at your workstation and showing us all that stuff we'll make it another runs Linux part two that would be a real treat for us and we'd really love to see that yeah. I'll put that video in the show notes I have it uploading to YouTube right now so that way uh, folks can uh, watch that because that's a real treat to, and to see you know mm -hmm. to see we talk about it but to actually to see uh, an, an audience member there is pretty cool. All right, well, we have got a bunch of great uh, desktop app picks and spotlights and all kinds of things to get through and a little Linux Fest Northwest update. It's a really big show today. So first, let's thank our first sponsor, DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com to support this show and, my good friends, to get yourself a kick-butt server up in the cloud. What is DigitalOcean? It is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to making you get going on your own Linux rig as fast as possible. They're really the most intuitive and easy way to start up your own cloud server. You can get started in less than 55 seconds. And pricing plans start at only $5 a month. That'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM, 20 gigabyte SSD. They do all SSDs throughout. This is one of the things they're really sharp about. One CPU and a terabyte of transfer. A terabyte of transfer is actually extremely significant. In fact, I've mentioned before, if you're starting out on a podcast <coughs> or something like that and you want to really have fast downloads, and you know, as people download now on mobile more and more, Delivering that content as fast as possible is really great. And the reason I say that is uh, if you're like, for example, you want to download the latest episode of the Linux Action Show and you're on Wi-Fi for a few minutes while you're in your garage or about to go out the door and you're trying to download that podcast, if you deliver that podcast as fast as possible, they'll get it on, they'll get it on their phone before they get out the door and so they can listen to it on their drive. It's one of those little things you can do as a podcaster to make sure your podcast is one of the ones that gets on the device. If you're starting out now or if you've even got a fairly large audience, you should seriously check out DigitalOcean for your back end. And if you use our promo code LASTDIGITAL, you get a $10 credit. You can try that out two months absolutely free. 
Last Digital. You just apply it to your account over DigitalOcean and you're good to go. Let me tell you, though, DigitalOcean also could give you a little bit of geodiversity because you'll probably find that a good percentage of your audience, whoever it is, if you're a podcaster or you have a website or it's you know, an own cloud site, if you make it public, you'll find a good percentage of your audience is going to come from outside the U.S. So why not have a little geodiversity? They have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London, and they're gorgeous. But really, it's DigitalOcean's interface that I love. It's intuitive. And you can replicate the functionality of this interface on a larger scale with their API. And there's a lot of really good apps built around that. It's a really great service. And I think when you look at the way you can manage your system, manage your DNS, take snapshots of your servers, back them up before you make any major changes, so that way you know you can take the risks to learn, and if you make a mistake, you just go right back. Or one of the things I do to save time is I restore from a snapshot, and I just build a new machine based on that. It saves me a bunch of time, and then I just do the updates, and the updates are crazy fast. And they have one-click application deployments for things like GitLab and all of that stuff, like WordPress, Ghost. It's just they have a whole section you can check out. Also, look at their community area. They have lots of really great tutorials. Uh, I just I look at this and I think, if if this if this was around when I was early on in my IT contracting career, I would have I, I would have incorporated this constantly in, into my into my work. Uh, I mean, I could build infrastructure. I could I can I could I mean, honestly, I could charge them ten dollars a month and make a five dollar profit, right? Uh, and it's still they would think it's the most amazing deal they've ever had. My clients would have. Uh, if you're building an application or if you have an open source project and you want to have it hosted somewhere. Check them out, DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code LASTDIGITAL, get that $10 credit. And a really big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. You guys rock. Okay, so we're going to do some themes uh, app picks this week. And uh, the first one, I hope I'm saying it right, is Romania. Romania. Uh, you've probably, you might even have it already installed with your desktop. But it is a remote desktop client. It's a GTK Plus app. It's supposed to be useful for system admins, uh, travelers, or uh, folks like Noah who are doing remote support and need something that does RDP, VNC, NX, even X remote windows, and SSH, tunneling through SSH, and all of that. Uh, in one application. And that's sort of where Romania comes in, right, Noah? So I'll tell you one of the coolest uh, instances that we did of, of, of Romania in a second. Um, but first, I'll, I'll start out just kind of how it works. So you, I, I mean, it essentially acts as any other, uh, like the like the Windows remote desktop um, utility does. I it's like when the RDP client I, was still good. Right. Uh, so the, if you're not familiar with the RDP protocol, it, RDP is, is interesting in that it draws the screen locally rather than on the remote side, so you get a faster response time. You feel like you're sitting closer to the machine. It's actually one of um, the neatest tricks of Windows, really, because yeah, the way the Windows desktop, the GDI is, the system is drawn, it, it just uses RDP to draw them remotely. And so you, instead of sending right. screen grabs, you're actually sending the, the like, almost, it's almost like, right? It's almost like doing vector graphics in a way. You're sending the right. vector and then the, the RDP window. I mean, that's a horrible analogy, but you get it. Yeah. Um, so and, and so I can I can do I can do SFTP. I can do SSH. Of course, you can do <coughs> VNC and and do an incoming VNC. But um, for the demo, I'll I'll just show you RDP. And there's a reason I want to, even though no, nobody likes Windows, there's a reason I want to talk about why this is so useful from a Linux standpoint. Um, so I have the credential saved, and it essentially logs in. Here you can see this is a... Um, That's a Windows XP machine is, you just remoted it. It's an XP P box. So oh. <laughs> I get the full screen. It takes over as if I was genius. actually sitting at you know, add a Windows XP box. Now, right. the, the the neat thing here is that uh, it. I feel like I'm actually sitting. Yeah, I don't know what the delay is like coming no, through Jitsi, but looks, it feels. Yeah. You know, it feels pretty responsive. That's enough looking at Windows. Let me tell you why. How this relates to Linux. I had a client that had Windows uh, specific software that they were using, 
and uh, they the application ran on Windows, the server ran on Windows. So the first thing we did was we ripped the server out <laughs> and put a, a Linux server in and then put a, a Windows guest to, to run their Windows software on. Sure. Now the problem became was I still had these front desk computers that were running Windows and it was such a pain because they were... Um, the, they, the front desk were still crashing because they were still running Windows and it was a real pain. So what, what we did was we, took, we created another virtual guest of Windows and called it Windows Client. And then we used uh, Romania on two Linux, uh, Linux workstations at the front desk to then RDP into the Windows <laughs> Client yes. VM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they accessed their software. So the great thing was, anytime they mucked up that workstation, I, I simply copied, I deleted the drive image inside of Vert Manager. I copied the fresh drive image over, and now it was like I restored their workstation. And they, I didn't actually touch anything on their client, on the, the machine that's sitting at the front desk. So I would tell them, close out the connection, give me 30 seconds, and I could restore a computer in, in like 35 seconds. And the great thing is, they are, whether they know it or not, getting experience on Linux, because guess where they were going to browse the internet and, mm. and check their email and all that stuff? That was all happening Under made Linux. of Linux. The yeah. only thing was that one application was being done in, in, in Windows. Right. And then further coolness, I was talking with a guy, some of the guys that make the Scepter, which is a thin client um, HDMI dongle. So you plug it in and then it becomes a thin client. And he was showing me some ways that you can actually send a Windows application through terminal services to show up as if it was a native Linux application running over the network. And so now we're playing with trying to incorporate something like that. But it is, this is, the important thing to understand is you cannot, many times it is very difficult to switch somebody from Windows to Linux whole hog, but tools like this, if you are a, if you are a Windows administrator, the first thing your boss is going to tell you is you can't install Linux because we need you to be able to get into all these servers and control them and this, that, and the other. And you can say, no, 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 listen, I will provide my own uh, my own RDP client, and then I'll be able to get into all these computers. Another place right. that that worked out really well, we had a client that was using QuickBooks, and they absolutely insisted on using QuickBooks. I couldn't get them to 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 give up QuickBooks. QuickBooks is not going to run in one. <laughs> yeah, I've what been there. we could do is we used a hosted service called Right, Cho uh, right, Net right Choice Networks or Right Networks, and what they do is they have hosted QuickBooks instances that they give you a little file, a little exe that runs, but really it's an RDP connection. So we installed Romania again, and we were able to get them access to their QuickBooks, and it's kind of a double-edged sword because now all of their information is being backed up. It's clouded. It's it's all in the cloud. It's mm -hmm. all cloudified. Mm -hmm. um, but they're accessing everything with a Linux desktop. And if you can do that, if you can if you can break things up and and, and change things in little steps, little bits at a time, without just pulling the rug out from somebody, um, and so they don't have a bad experience bec uh, on Linux because they still have access to those applications. Yeah. That makes it much to. easier. You have a much higher chance at the end of getting them to, to, to fully it's, switch. That's away. like grease and, in the slide. No, it's grease in the slide. And you know what? And the, the, going back to the first client I was talking about, where we have the the virtual server and the virtual client. Yeah. You ask any one of those employees, they won't be able to tell you the technical nature of how it works. But here's what they'll say. Right. It the works. computer works great. Yeah. That dumb little icon that I have to click on once I get into that other little desktop, that thing's slow as heck. It, it nothing ever works right. Like it works great for a couple weeks, but then we have to call him, and then then he has to. And that would be the Windows together. desktop. Right, that's a Windows desktop. Yeah. So they, they don't even understand, they don't necessarily understand that they hate Windows and they're enjoying Linux. They just know that that this part of the computer works well and that part of the computer doesn't work well. So if it ever, if it ever came time where that software was available on Linux or an alternative was available right. on Linux, yeah. and I went in there and said, listen, we could get rid of that little icon with that little mini works, they would be all over it. They, so would, they, would, they would be whole head. Let me tell you, a couple, you, know, other, let me tell you a couple other favorite features of Romania's uh, uh, sort of like just stuff from somebody who's used a lot of remote desktop features over the years. One thing I 
I like is you can predefine allowable resolutions and it won't even attempt different resolutions. That's something for me. I get really picky about my layout and I like to have a minimum mm-hmm. resolution uh, uh, maximum. Uh, a couple other things that I think are kind of neat is it has a plugin system. Uh, so you can add different stuff like uh, like uh, telephony, uh, the desktop sharing stuff, which is pretty cool. And then last but not least, regardless of what remote desktop protocol you want, NX, RDP, SFTP, Secure Shell, or X Remote Session, and, and this, I think, is really a nice feature. So let's say uh, I had a Windows box that I wanted to connect to, but it was behind a firewall. You can have Romania make sure that it first creates an SSH tunnel. Mm-hmm. Regardless, even though you're doing a Windows RDP connection, it will first establish an SSH tunnel and pipe the RDP session through that, or perhaps more realistically, a remote X session. So you could establish SS- right. an SSH connection to your Linux box, and then it will do the X- X11 tunneling through that and get you to your uh, desktop. That's a pretty mm-hmm. nice feature. Regardless of, uh, you know, there's other ones that have that capability, but the UI here is really straightforward, being able to preset your resolutions and all that kind of stuff sort of brings that all together. And then uh, integration with uh, things like uh, GNOME Telephony so you can do desktop sharing are all pretty nice features. So check it out. Romania, it's pretty nice. Good pick, Noah. I like that one. So you use that for quite a while, I bet. I have, yeah. And in fact, I'm using it. I'm using it less and less, obviously, because I'm I'm watching as as there are less and less Windows machines that I have to get access to. But it Aha. is a uh, it, when you need it, when you need it, there is it is it is one of the best RDP clients for Linux, I think. Yeah, and there's so many different cool. And we're going to talk about a whole bunch coming up in the show. We're going to talk about just general remote remote desktop mm-hmm. solutions for Linux, mm-hmm. like a whole bunch of different stuff you can use. We're not, this is this is just the beginning. This is one of many things, and this is one of the clients you can use to access some of the solutions we're going to be talking about later in the show. So if your appetite has been whetted by that, that is just the tip of the iceberg. But I have some really great news before we move on. Teespring.com slash Linux has tipped. It's broken. Boom. We hit the mark. We have sold 278 shirts with one day, eight hours left. That's really great. And we're sitting in a pretty good position, I believe, at this point. Almost every single person in the crew is locked in. Right, Noah? Like, uh, I think Rotten Corpse doesn't have his ticket spot yet, but outside of that, like, we have uh, Chris Moore is in, Alan Jude is in, you're in, uh, Q5SYS is in, Rotten Corpse is in. They're all going to be traveling in. Uh, They'll be coming in. Um, uh, And, of course, everybody local here will be going up there. Chase will be going. I'll be going. um, Angela will be going. So it's going to be a huge party. We're going to have almost all the crew. I'm even going to see if I can somehow talk Rikai into at least going to the Friday night dinner, right? right. At least Good the luck. Friday night dinner. Good luck. Good. I know. Is the Friday night dinner, I have a question for you. Is the Friday night dinner, is it going to be held at Five Guys? Because let's, if not, there's just, no chance. Let's just tell him Zero. I mean, Zip. Zip. here's what we do. We just don't feed him all day, and we tell him we're going to Five yeah. Guys, and then when we get well, wherever yeah. we're going, he'll have here's, to eat. Here's what he'll say. Here's what he'll say, and it won't matter if it's actually true. He'll go... I could just walk there. I can I can walk to uh, to Five Guys, and I would just you know what we'll do. Guys. Here's what we'll do. If, if he doesn't like, me, I'll just I'll. Here's the thing. If he doesn't like the restaurant we go to, we'll stop by Five Guys on the way back to the studio and get him food. Huh? Everybody wins. So uh, very excited, uh, and you still have a chance. One day, eight hours left over at uh, Teespring.com/slash/Linux to grab yourself a Linux Fest Northwest shirt or hoodie or ladies' tee or kids' t-shirt, and not only support our initiative, but if you're going to make it to the fest, uh, be part of the club who's rocking the gear. And that it, to be honest with you, it helps with social situations because you see somebody else is wearing the same shirt and, and it 
it reduces barriers. You can it's it immediately a conversation starter. Hey, hey, you watch the Linux Action Show? How long you been watching? Or what what episodes? Or you know, blah blah blah. So it sort of eliminates these weird, awkward social situations because you're going to a Linux fest and everybody there is a Linux user. You probably all have common interests, but sometimes it's hard to just walk up to somebody and talk. But when you're both wearing like a Linux Action Show shirt or a Jupiter Broadcasting swag, it it helps quite a bit. Uh, and they and they'll probably be able to tell you where all the fun's at too. So Teespring.com/slash/Linux and we'll have it. At, you can also wear it to future events as well that we go to. All right. So this week, Noah, we uh, had no doubt in our minds, both of us knew what the spotlight was going to be for an open source project yeah. this week. Yeah. There is a distribution after watching last week's episode where we talked about uh, the uh, Cody Media Center. Uh, there is a distribution you might want to check out called OpenLEC. Am I saying that? Or OpenELEC? Am I saying that right? OpenELEC? It's OpenELEC. OpenELEC. Uh, it's the Open Embedded Linux Entertainment Center. It's a small Linux distribution built from scratch as a platform to turn your computer into the ultimate coding experience. Experience, experience. It's designed to make your system boot fast and install is so easy. And guess what? It helps like connect you to wireless and things like that. What do you think, Noah? What are your thoughts? <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to pick my words very carefully. Uh-huh, sure. Uh, I, I, no, so if you go over, if you head over to, if you head over to the Cody Project uh, website, and you look, and we're going to cover this uh, in more details in the feedback, because as it turns out, the developers agreed with me. But if you go over to the uh, the Cody develop uh, the Cody website, and yeah. you look under download, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you get an option for Apple iOS, you get an option for Android, you get an option for Windows, Mac, and Linux, and then you get Cody Ubuntu, which is what so here's I how it works. So here's so right, here's exactly. here it is right so here. Window, here's Linux. Windows. There's and, Linux. And there's Linux. Apple. There's Android. There's Raspberry Pi. And then there's, there's Cody Buntu. The only one in that download link yeah. that looks like it is a ready pre-built solution is Cody Buntu. And as it turns out, the developers acknowledge that Cody Buntu is actually a a, a, a horrible implementation. It's a hot mess. Of Really, and so and so uh, and so, OpenElect. Everything, basically, everything that I had a problem with last week is totally solved by using OpenElect instead yeah. of Cody Buntu. Yeah. And what's <clears throat> what is dumber yet, on my part, uh, is the entire time during the show, the chat room was saying, "You should use, uh, you should well, use OpenElect. You should no, try OpenElect. No, you gotta no, no. try OpenElect." So this is something that's difficult when you do reviews. It's difficult because mm -hmm. yeah. You have to review it in some regard. In regard, in the, so there's two ways you can go. You can go, how would the expert user review this? And sometimes we do that, and we'll just disclaim this is how we're doing this one. And sometimes you have to go, how would somebody walking into this for the first time do this? And that was our approach right. with Cody because it seems like maybe building your own media entertainment system, there's a potential there. That could be your first introduction to using Linux, mm -hmm. a pretty big potential. That's a new avenue into Linux. And, uh, and if you're going to do that, you're probably going to go to the Cody website and download Cody Ubuntu. So... I think it's right. not too hard to defend taking that position from a review standpoint. What right. I think you could also say there's room for is a separate review of Open Elec. Like that yes. could happen well, in its own. What was what was uh, what was unfair and what I didn't think about originally and and in in hindsight this was this was completely unfair of me is to review Cody Buntu, to do a review, or, or to review Cody, what we sh what I should have done is simply installed yeah. Cody on my desktop and played with Cody, because Cody is an application, and that is how I would have best reviewed Cody. The problem with doing that is I have absolutely no use case for that. I never sit down, at no point yeah. do I ever sit down to my computer yeah. and want to run a media center. I would just open the file in VLC. Yeah, that's, that how, that's how we so both are. So the only purpose yeah. yep. of Cody for me is if I can run it as an appliance, but Cody itself isn't an appliance, and the only thing I could find that was close to an appliance was Cody Buntu, really the correct choice would have been open elect. So I guess 
my 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 complaints last week really uh, were, and I think I even acknowledged this, <laughs> were a limitation of my own intelligence, not necessarily <laughs> a limitation of Cody. And so once you pair Cody with the, once you use Cody the proper way, so if you want to use it as an appliance, use it with a distribution that's actually correctly paired for an appliance, works just fine. Like open works just great. Yeah. They, yeah, and they had, had wireless. I put it on, I put it on a Raspberry Pi 1, the first generation, the, the 512 megabyte, you know, junk uh, Pi, and... I was able to stream a 1080p video, no problem. Yeah. I, I, I take that back. It glitched a little bit when it started playing, but then once it started, it was it was great. Yeah. And so imagine what the Raspberry Pi 2 would do. Yeah. You know, because they have they have specific optimizations in there for the hardware components in the Pi mm -hmm. that do the video. Mm -hmm. to, yeah, decoding. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, and you know, I've the thing is, is I've heard of this before, and uh, we both the reason why we both went that route is we both wanted the appliance approach. So I think we'll do a separate we'll do a separate review of this in the future. Yeah. I'm excited about mm -hmm. that. But you guys can go check it out right now. And if you watched our episode last week and wanted a really great turnkey solution uh, for Cody, uh, previously known as XBMC. Go check this out. It's They say a distribution from scratch. Did you dig into that at all? Where like uh, what it's based on or anything? That may no. be something uh, we look into further. But it worked per uh, here's the thing. Here's, here's, here's why. This is, this is the hallmark of a good project. When I can go to OpenElect and I download the, the image, I put it onto a, uh, uh, in my case, a Raspberry Pi and plugged it into my TV and it worked so perfectly right out of the box that I didn't bother to go. You know, where you find out where things are based on is where you start searching for individual sure. problems that you're having yeah. and then people say, well, you're having this problem because this happens. You're having that problem because of that happens or it's built on this or that doesn't work. Uh, Rotten Corpse that, says, no, I didn't have yeah. any of that. No, the chat, the, the chat room, Rotten Corpse in the chat room and on, on the website, it is built from scratch. Uh, and okay. uh, so, and you know, uh, KP in the chat room has it on his Qbox i4 that I have, and he says it runs pretty good. That is a great idea. So check it out, openelec.tv, openelec.tv for the URL. Uh, we'll have the link in the show notes. While I'm talking about links in the show notes, uh, our producer Rotten Corpse pinged me that the uh, last pick site at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash lastpicks has been updated. Among many of the wonderful updates is now uh, complete uh, Android app picks. Wow. Jesus, look at all these app picks. Look at all these Android apps I've installed on microphones and tested. Holy crap. And also, uh, now he's, he's put icons in there to signify which ones are done by Ting and which ones are done by Jupiter Broadcasting on the app's pick site. So that's pretty cool. You can find all of our previous desktops, spotlights, and Android app picks at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash lastpicks. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. If you're setting up a new Android device or a new Linux desktop, some of the best apps on the web for Linux and for Android are listed on that site, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash lastpicks. All right, Noah, with the picks all done, that means it's time for the news. Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Go to last.ting.com to get started. That'll give a little support to your uh, local Linux action show, but it'll also get you a $25 discount off your first Ting device. Or if you have a Ting-compatible device... Give you $25 service credit. And guess what? There's more Ting devices all the time because now they support a ton of GSM devices and CDMA devices. So go to last.ting.com. It's mobile that makes sense. Ting is truly on a mission to make mobile better. Uh, I'll tell you, it, it, for me, I like just the fact that maybe I'm a bit of a renegade. I'm on the outside. I'm helping the underdog. Maybe I, I like that a little bit. But really, it's the no contract that got me. That was like, oh, oh, that was like the first, like, that's different. And then when I looked at their plans, and they've changed since I became a customer. They've only changed for the better, too. Uh, now now it's I only pay for what I use. It's a flat $6 for my line. That's phenomenal. So I have three lines because this 
not a bad deal. And I've got the phones and they're unlocked. They're mine. I own them. So it's $6 for the lines and I just pay for my usage on top of that. And I'm pretty savvy about my data usage and I don't use the phone much. And I actually don't use any text messaging now that I'm pretty much all in Hangouts and Telegram. So my Ting bill for three phones is sometimes as low as $20. Sometimes like when Linux Fest is getting close, goes up to like $60, $70. I think my highest has ever been like 70 something. And that's for three smartphones with tethering, hotspot, picture messaging, caller ID, voicemail, all the features you'd expect, plus Ting's incredible dashboard. Uh, and their no-hold customer service at one ting ftw You get to talk to an actual human during 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. And Ting also has some great devices. Uh, they have the, uh, talk about the value phone. Here's a Unimax MXE, $675, $81. Ships by Monday. You own it outright. But let's not kid ourselves. Check this one out, Noah. The Moto G, $66. Last.ting.com, $66 for the Moto G from Ting. No contract. Pay for what you use. Unlocked phone. You own it outright. Last.ting.com. Go get it while it's in stock because I, I think this is a, a, a refurb unit. I'm not sure, though, but double check. Uh, uh, yes. it's been, and, and by the way, Ting really knows how to do refurbs. They, they do these right. Uh, so a Ting refurb, I've, I, I own two Ting refurbs now. There's, they've been great. It's a really great way to save some money. It ships with Android, KitKat 4.4. I mean, you guys know the Moto G is a serious phone. $66, no contract. Uh, it's a pretty great way to go. And, uh, and you can get it at last.ting.com and support the, support the show. And check out, too, their uh, savings calculator. You'll be surprised how much money you're going to save, too. It's really neat. And even if you just were considering getting a hotspot and tethering, and now you can just get that as well. $6 a month plus your usage. Last.ting.com. And before we get out of here, Noah, you know we do have an app pick. Would you like me to roll it? Do you want me to play the uh, – I mean, it's your call. It's your call. I mean, if I, you don't, who who is doing the app pick? Yeah, uh, it's 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 our good friend Kyra. It's our good friend Kyra. Well, then we better do we it. better play. All right, here we go. It's Tim's app pick. Where else can you find R. Kelly's trapped in the closet on repeat twenty four hours a day? Nowhere. That's where. I'm Kyra, and this is the Ting app of the week. Go, Kyra. Whoa, whoa, whoa. For cord cutters, trying to decide what to watch on Netflix is the new channel surfing. Now, with Pluto TV, channel surfing is the new trying to decide what to watch on Netflix. Pluto TV is best described as a sort of online cable TV. You're not getting the kinds of shows you get with a cable subscription. What you are getting is an organized and pleasant interface to access videos that are available online. Pluto TV channels start in the 100s with music. Just tap a channel to play. Yeah, Next is the 200s, encompassing news, opinion, and current events. That's cool. In the 300s, you get sports, sporting, and sporty sportsing. That's actually kind of a neat the 400s idea. 400s are kind of eclectic. Theme channels like 24-7 Dogs and Cats coexist <laughs> with documentary channels, anime, and the highlights from The Ellen Show. What? In the 500s, it's online sketch comedy, fail video compilations, and the like. 600s are lifestyle, style, fitness, and that kind of thing. The 700s are for tech and gaming content. Oh, look in at that. In the 800s, it's science, design, and nature. And in the 900s are kids' programs. hey On Android, the Pluto TV app is Chromecast-ready. Yeah. And on the iOS side, it's AirPlay-compatible. Boom. There's also a version of the app specifically for the Amazon Fire TV. This is great because on the bigger screen is where Pluto TV really shines. I'm going to get that. Pluto TV is free, whichever platform you're on. Thanks for watching. Be sure to give this video a like and hit that subscribe button to keep up with our weekly video release schedule. Boom! Last.ting.com. Check them out on YouTube. They're also uh, on Facebook. They're on Ting, Ting FTW on Twitter. Nice stuff. That's a good one. I didn't know they had a Fire TV app. I'm getting that for the Fire TV we put in the studio. That'll be perfect, don't you think? 
Yeah, check it out, last.ting.com. Also, $9 SIM cards. Get Put GSM or CDMA in your device for $9 on the uh, so, Ting network. So here's something that bit me that I, I, I feel like it's important to, to let everyone know about. Um, I was not aware that SIM cards are a one-time use only thing. So if you deactivate your, like I'm so used to Ting being so amazing that I can log into the dashboard, turn a phone on, turn a phone off, turn a phone on, turn a phone off. You can't do that with GSM. If you activate a GSM card and you turn it off, you can't turn it back on again. You mm. have to purchase a new card. Okay, good to know. I would say, yeah. too, uh, bear in mind, all things are changing because the GSM stuff is so new at Ting. And so right. uh, one of the things that's kind of interesting about the way Ting develops products internally is they, they treat it like they're developing an application. So uh, the GSM support is like version one, beta one right now. Right? Mm-hmm. Or I'm just making, these, I'm making the numbers up. But this is how Ting works internally. And then the next, the next big push will be a whole new set of features that like brings new integration to the data dashboard like eventually like they do like more and more stuff and they release them in cycles it's kind of a cool way to do it so you'll probably see things things could potentially change things that you don't like now could get right. a little better so it's always I, important. I don't think it's a limit of ting i think it's a limit of the gsm technology yeah. Yeah. i think is what it is uh, i know though the way it was described and to their credit there is like because i'm an idiot i just click through a bunch of times i never actually read anything um they have like a huge thing when you activate it that says oh. this is a one-time use only. Yeah. Do not blah blah. blah. And, and I just didn't. At nine dollars, it's not that bad. I mean, how yeah, often do you have right, to pop right. in a new one? Right. Uh, all right, so uh, let's start with the news this week. Uh, Noah, you're a big fan of LibreOffice. I can tell because whenever there's I a LibreOffice story that comes up, you always grab it. I know there's people in the audience that are big fans. Our first one this week might be great for those that are maybe enviously looking over at Office 365 or Google Docs, right? Yeah. Um, so essentially, the, the <clears throat> they are launching LibreOffice Online. And so what it is, uh, is it's going to be uh, basically they see what's happening with Microsoft competing sure. with 360. They see sure. what's happening with Google completing with Google Docs. And yeah. so what they have decided is that <clears throat> the future of an office suite is something that works in the cloud. Now, the great thing about uh, LibreOffice Online is for people like you that that you want the collaborative editing, you want to be able to 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 do this stuff in the cloud and access it in a web browser and that kind of thing. You can do that. People like me, I can access those same documents locally. I can download them in uh, uh, in Odia in. Um, the open document format, right. and and open those and edit those locally, and I can put them back up on the cloud, and you can open them, and and it's and it's, it it appears like it's going to be very seamless. Now there wasn't a lot of information that's online. Right. Essentially, a lot of this has been being taken from a tweet that was published. There are a couple of this article that from uh, LinuxandUbuntu.com, and you know we don't we mm-hmm. have not seen this uh, collaborated or what's the right word Colla- collaborated confirmed whatever you want to say, uh, but at right. least here with a couple of things that jump out at me, Noah, I'd be curious to bounce these off you. Number one. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the at least the initial version, which has become called L O O L, will be hosted by the Document Foundation themselves. So it doesn't sound like it's necessarily mm-hmm. going to be a self-hosted thing, at least initially. Uh, and right. then secondarily, uh, they say it will have in uh, and the word they're using in this in this article is full fidelity integration with the desktop version, which to me suggests mm-hmm. a desktop version not going away. B, they aim yep. to be not not just to have full like compatibility with the desktop version but they say here they want to achieve complete document fidelity across all versions they say uh libreoffice online would be the first to do this this is like a this is going to be like a major point of pride for them is to make sure the desktop versions and the online versions talk seamlessly together like at least through document compatibility what are your thoughts on being able to self-host or not self-host is that a deal breaker for you and are you worried about the diminishing investment in the desktop version 
Not at all. Not at all. So for one, the 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 the, uh, the LibreOffice people have always been hugely focused on the desktop, and they are making huge improvements to the desktop version. So I, I absolutely don't see the desktop version going away. That said. If no more development continued on the desktop version, it is perfectly usable, at least for what I do with it right now. I, I, there's nothing that I'm lacking in the desktop version. And the thing that I hear most often um, from people like you and other people is that the, the feature that they want is the ability to use it in the cloud. Now, how long do you think it'll be if they, let's say they start with the, <clears throat> they're going to host it themselves. How long do you think it'll be before, because they're an open source project, how long do you think it'll be before they publish all of this stuff out and and oh, uh, sure. projects like OwnCloud pick this up that and would now be all of a sudden you have LibreOffice inside of OwnCloud. It's coming. Yeah, it's I totally hope. coming. That would be ideal. No, now, here's, a couple, here's a couple thoughts. Uh, real quick, you can't take LibreOffice on the desktop and translate to the web. It's not going to work. I don't think that UI works very well as a, right. as a desktop app. You might be able to get some basics of it, but I, I have a big concern about that. Uh, secondarily, mm -hmm. um, I think uh, this is a must-do. Uh, today, if I'm on a mobile device, LibreOffice isn't really a contender. Now, the reality is a lot of people are more and more people are on mobile. They're opening up documents when they get an email. Um, this is something, this is an area that LibreOffice is really unable to play in, uh, and it's sort of allowed Microsoft to run wild here. Uh, mm -hmm. Now you're seeing that, like, the, Samsung, the new Samsung devices ship with Office 360 or whatever it's called for the Android devices pre-installed. This is becoming a more and more common thing. Microsoft is locking in agreements with these Android vendors to ship mm -hmm. these Microsoft products and, and LibreOffice has really no full response. There's different takes on uh, mobile versions of LibreOffice. There's different, but there's no full-on complete co complete response that works on the desktop, works on mobile. And the thing this is is this web client will not. They say will not need any plugins. It'll be JavaScript and HTML5. So the web right. client they say should run on any modern web browser. So in my interpretation, that's Chrome um, or the Android browser. And it's Safari on iOS or whatever desktop mm -hmm. browser. And I think I'm a little worried about the division of attention um, and doing this wrong and getting the and blowing the UI and not making it very consumer approachable. But at the same time, mm -hmm. those are risks they absolutely have to take because they don't have an answer to a pretty important market. We just can't ignore it anymore. So they but, have to and, do this. And in I, sense. I don't. I don't know. I mean, how hard? There are a couple of different. Um, there over time, there have been a couple different implementations of uh, of Office suites that ran inside of web browsers. I know that uh, there's another project. Um, I can't think of the name. There's Zoho head, too. They, they, well, they have they have that uh, they have that uh, the uh, an answer to Citrix, where it's essentially a virtualized desktop, and um, they they have they've had an Office suite that that ran inside of a web browser, and then yeah. of course you have things like Google Docs. So yeah. I don't think that there's necessarily going to be a problem porting. I don't know. I necessarily agree that you can't put. LibreOffice in Maybe. its current form inside of a web browser and have yeah. it work. I don't know if I agree with that. Okay. Um, but even if they don't, as long as they have, like you've said, as long as we have basic text editing, as long as I can put text in, I can make things bold, I can make things italicized, I can change the font, stuff like that, the, those basic functionality, if even yeah. that is there, I think it will work for 90% of people. Yeah. And then you get to the people like me who would like to see a little collaborative editing and things like that. Mm -hmm. You never know. All right, Noah. No, I, th I, I think that's, I, there's no point in putting it in, in the cloud if you're not going to have collaborative editing, right? I think that's, a, I think the two go hand in hand. The, 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 there's, if you're, unless you're a person that uses 17 different computers throughout the day and so you have to take your documents with you everywhere, um, and then for some reason that something like Google Drive or own cloud isn't going to work. And then on top of that, if you have all of those things, then I can see how this would be, would be useful. But I think the real, even though they don't, you know, explicitly spell it out, I think the real, the uh, the real advantage in doing this is that you can is that eventually we get collaborative editing. I hope so. That could be the way. 
All right, I so. so I want to talk about SteamOS, something I've been watching for a little while. A new version just came out on uh, March 25th, and a couple of things that are changed. So SteamOS Update 157, and uh, it has Linux kernel 3.10.5, NVIDIA uh, driver version 3.46.35, and it's also including some uh, OEM branding for uh, Alienware in there. Numerous security fixes are also going into this. Uh, in addition, uh, Ice Weasel Web Browser has been updated. Here's a couple things, though, that jump out at me. Remember that these are all updates from Upstream Debian. How far away, and do we need to even worry about SteamOS getting too far away from Upstream Debian? Is this like, uh, what do you think? Is this something that well, is worth worrying about? I, I don't know that I really care. I mean, d the reality is as long as, as long as it's based on Linux and, and Valve doesn't do anything to hinder people from porting. I mean, let's face it. How many people are actually using SteamOS or are using Steam on Debian? All we really care about is that we can install it on our Linux distribution. You're using it on Arch. I'm using it on Fedora. Right. Probably the majority of people are and using it on Ubuntu. You know, the reality so, is these, these updates are making it more current with more modern. I mean, it's making mm -hmm. it really, in a way, more up-to-date with other distributions. Right. Uh, so yeah, kinda... I mean, for a while, they were packaging 1204 with the with Steam, if I'm not mistaken, right? So, I mean, you essentially had right. the, this little mini environment. And it's, like you said, it's all open code. I just, okay, so here's where I was getting is, I always kind of look at this stuff and I think, wouldn't it be ironic, and this is like way down the road, definitely not today, not near this point at all, not a problem. But I always just like to toy with this idea, like, what would happen, like, you know, I'm thinking like we're 10 years down the road and Steam machines are like full-on consoles and they're like at Best Buys and they're just everywhere, right? And mm -hmm. it's seriously maybe like got a per decent, respectable percentage of the market. It hasn't replaced the, you know, Xbox and the PlayStation, but it's respectable. Like what if we get to this mm -hmm. point down the road? How much will they change it from Debian that we know today? And will those changes make it at some point harder for Linux games to run on standard Linux desktops? That's the only thing I try to be a watchdog of. I, we're not there today. Mm -hmm. But when I start to see this kind of stuff, I go, well, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You know what? They're pushing it upstream. Debian can take these down, and they are. Um, they're, they're really just implementing kernel, right. you know, kernels that have been around for a long time that is not a big deal. Like, there's nothing scary happening here at all. But it's, as mm -hmm. a thought experiment, I start to go, wouldn't it be really sucky if somebody came in and did this, and then the end result was it used Linux, but you couldn't actually use it on other Linux distros? But I'm sure that, I don't really, I'm not worried about Valve I, doing I don't, that. I just don't see it happening. I mean, on one hand, I'll preface with this. Valve is not in business to support Linux. They don't. They, they exist to make money, and the, they're going to do whatever they need to do to act in their own rational self-interest yeah. to make money, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. That said... They clearly have put the first foot forward, saying that they think that that you know that they think that Linux is a viable uh, ecosystem for them to to move to and and to base things on. And I don't see any company, uh, you know, uh, building off of the back of the community like that. Right. Um, and well, going forward, so many times saying that they care about the values of the community. I mean, if they had come forward from day one saying, "Listen, we're just using Linux because it works." No, I mean, Gabe Gabe Newell actually came to LinuxCon two years ago. Yeah. And talked, you know, actually, in depth he did, about didn't he? How he believes in the Linux community. Here's yeah. the thing, though. So, though. I don't, Back up though, a little bit. I think if you you were actually more on the course originally than before you get to Gabe's you know grand vision for the Linux desktop, uh, mm -hmm. I would say just stop at they're a company that wants to make money, 
And the reason they came over to Linux in the first place is because there has been a metric S ton of work that's just given to them, right? You mm -hmm. get so much right. by using the Linux kernel, by using Debian as a base, uh, all of the driver support, all of the hardware support, everybody that knows how to make applications for that platform and people that are making applications for Android, everybody that knows the OpenGL mm -hmm. stack, the NVIDIA and ATI are already supplying quality drivers. All of this stuff just is inherited with Linux. And the further you move away from that, the less value you get from it. The the more right. custom the work, more you, work have you have to do. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's always within their best interest to not move too far away because that's the whole reason they came over to Linux in the first place. You move too far away from right. that original benefit, you lose those things. Well, th that and I think the other huge play deciding factor in, in, uh, in moving to Linux was the fact that they maintain control because they are losing control over Mac OS and, and the Windows platform. Those, they are losing the ability to to control their own their own system. I mean, if it's yeah. essentially, really, if you think about it, Steam needs to essentially almost act as as you know the one and only application, right? Well, so today, to when you download Steam, you'll see it's like updating Steam runtime. You'll see this sometimes, and that mm -hmm. is an Ubuntu environment that's sitting on your hard drive that applications right. are written towards. And the people mm -hmm. that ship applications for Steam know that that environment exists on every Steam box. That's a pretty nice right. solution. There's a downside. Guess what? Those libraries, compared to the ones I have from my Arch repository, suck. They're old. They're not as optimized. They're not as good. And if I go in and I delete those libraries, my games actually perform better. My sound works better. Everything is better without those libraries because the ones from Arch are more updated. And then guess what right. happens? The next Steam update comes, and it pulls down that entire runtime again. It writes all of that Ubuntu base back, and all of the games start using that automatically again, and my performance goes down. And then I don't notice so, it for a few days, and then I go in there, and I remove that, that folder, yeah. and my performance is back. So we are starting to get to a point where there is a little bit of uncomfortableness with how Valve is implementing this, and that's what's just put the red light on, but I'm overall I'm not there's, that worried. There's no other practical way to do it, though. I mean, the reality is the, the trade-off for that is they know that the, 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 the that SteamOS is going to, or, well, Steam is going to work on every single Linux user that downloads it and, and yep. tries to install it on a supported platform. And so to go your route, essentially, they throw that up in the air yeah. and then you go back to no. half the people are going to work and the people that don't know how to download these libraries I, have the wrong library files or have modified. I, it, no, I know, what they're is, doing makes hundred percent sense. This is the bed we have made, and now we are mm -hmm. lying in this bed. This is this is their most practical solution to distributing right. games across a fragmented desktop environment. Right. I understand it, that. It, it, exactly. That's the, that's the nail on the head. If you if if you want if you want uh, if you want the latest thing, then we all need to agree on one distribution. We need to discontinue the rest of them, give up all the choice and all the freedom, and then give them one platform and say, here now you can now you can trust that yeah. these libraries will be here, and yeah. we'll let you know yeah. three to five uh, what months ahead of time uh, when those libraries are going to change, so that you can pass that on to your developers to make yeah. appropriate changes, and we won't touch it otherwise. So that's the trade off. All yeah, right, that's a terrible trade-off. Let's talk about something cool. The GNOME desktop has a new update this week. GNOME 3.16 came out. Of course, the big one that I'm really excited about is that new notification area. Like right now, I have all this tray down here with all these bustificated notifications and all this crap. And it's, I never see all this stuff. I don't go down here and look at this stuff, even though it's flashing at me constantly. Having it right here in the calendar drop-down is going to be extremely nice. That's one of the things I'm most excited about. Uh, files improvements. No, they actually... You know me, I love videos. They actually have a video showing some of the features. I'm just going to play a little bit because I actually think it's a pretty great video the GNOME Camp made. Spring has come to the Northern Hemisphere, and so has a new release of GNOME. This release, we are bringing you new streamlined theming and a better development experience. Several applications have been revamped. For example, GNOME's Image Viewer, which now features new user interface controls. Hot. 
Hot. Hot. Files has also received some love. Yeah, it is. With simplified popover menus and improved file. Dim menus. Oh. Gnome 316 also brings new visuals to Gnome Shell. All right. This includes the activities overview, the application menu, and the system menu. Yeah, that does look better. Gnome Shell also provides an improved design of the notification system. I love it. Oh, I love that. That was Sarah's favorite part. These improvements aim to make notifications in Gnome more discoverable. Uh, Yeah, I got it. Go ahead. Will, uh, she was she was asking me, she goes, oh, that's, I was showing her the video, and I, I said, you know, this is what's coming, because now that you have art, Sarah you're, you're going to get this. Yeah, right. And she goes, um, and she goes, oh, so does that mean Telegram? Will I get notifications with that dropdown? I can just respond yes. like they're doing? I'm like, I don't know. I guess we'll find Telegram out. will have to implement that, uh, but yes. Now, right. you can remember, there, there, you can also, like, integrate Telegram into, like, Epiphany and stuff, and that will, mm-hmm. that does support it today. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, should I play more? Should I continue? Yeah. Well, it's up to you. Oh, I'll play a little more. I think it's really, I think it's, really, I think it's a great video, and I think there's just some nice music. Great. I, I, I'm, I'm digging it. But also easy to get out of your way. I love that feature. This cycle features three new GNOME apps. One of them is a preview of GNOME Calendar, an app which helps you plan ahead. I'm ready for this. Yeah, I am ready to replace Evolution so hard. And the nice well, thing is... Well, you can sync this with Google. So yeah, no, all well, anything Google that uses GNOME online accounts. Account. Anything that uses mm-hmm. GNOME, uh, own cl- uh, I'm sorry, right. Google, own cloud, I think even Facebook, you can sync this with. Mm-hmm. So that's really nice. Uh, and anything that t- integrates in with that will uh, will support it. GNOME Calendar integrates with your online accounts so you can take your calendar with you on the go. This release also features a preview of GNOME Books. I like this, too. Uh, you know, I was thinking about uh, Dylan and I are getting a little collection of uh, stories and stuff like that, and for his computer, mm-hmm. put this on his machine, he can call it up. It doesn't need to be very complicated. Uh, it doesn't need to be Calibre or whatever it is. You know, it's just something right. very simple to read ebooks, and uh, it doesn't take a ton of engineering to make this app. See, these both seem very sensible apps, something that's not this ambitious project that sucks resources too much, uh, but something that makes the desktop a little more usable. A new application for your book reading needs. Furthermore, this release brings a preview of Builder, a new application for developers. Builder is an IDE, aiming to improve the developer experience on GNOME. Thanks to more than 500 donors, the project was successfully crowdfunded. If you want to help improve the developer experience too, visit the crowdfunding campaign in the description below. Nice plug for Builder. GTK also aims to improve the development experience this cycle with many improvements to the GTK Inspector support good for OpenGL and a mere backend. Finally, GNOME 316 ships an improved glib, aiming to make life much easier for C developers. Yay. The new GNOME release is available for you as a live image to try now. All right. GNOME 316 will be shipped by Watch many this. distributions Watch in this. the near future. Arch, Debian, Fedora, Sousa. GNOME is made by people for people. Help us make GNOME better by getting involved today. Can you believe an open source project is making videos like this for new releases? This is 2015, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. That's really Very. cool. 
Uh, I, I mean, I know we just, I know it's a little long. It's three minutes long. I know that's that probably feels long to the audience, but uh, I, to me, I, I think it's kind of remarkable. And this isn't the first time it's happened either. I think this is super cool to be able to promote open source like this. I mean, they did it. They've been doing this for a little while, but I think this is one of their best ones. Uh, and uh, GNOME 316 looks like a really killer release. Both Plasma 5 mm-hmm. and GNOME are getting in really good places now, and that's kind of exciting. Uh, so, yeah, we'll have a link in the show notes if you guys want to check out all the new fancy features like the updated visuals or the new apps. And, of course, there's also been some improvements uh, in the technology, too. It's not all just visual stuff. One of the things that I'm really looking forward to in GNOME 3.16 is improvements in Mutter. So that way, uh, screen resizes under the GNOME desktop will now be GPU accelerated on a high DPI display. If you followed all of that, then you know why that's a good good thing. Because right now, Mutter has been falling back, I guess, if my understanding is correctly, to use the CPU when you have high DPI mode enabled. And now it will be using the GPU, which should be um, a good improvement on my XPS 13, I would think. Congrats to the no guys. Okay, Noah, our last news story this week is an update from the Ubuntu phone project, something we're following a little closely here now, closely now, because it's shipping. Uh, people have been getting their BQ devices. They had a GPL issue they've worked through, uh, and that's been posted. So uh, is that what this is about? What do we have here, Noah, from uh, Softpedia? Yeah, so essentially um, what it is is that uh, they have they are relaunching... Uh, oh, another flash they, sale. Cool, cool. Yeah, so you're familiar with these yeah. flash sales where they do them in bursts? And right. then you can... Yeah. And, and what's cool about that is <clears throat> there is a there is inherent. I was thinking about why this works, and the, there is an inherent desire for un- for forbidden fruit, right? So when something is not available, then you want it. So by doing these flash sales, essentially what they're doing is they're putting they're making it available just long enough yeah. that everyone that wants them they can they can run in, they can spend their money, they can buy them, then they take it back down, and then everyone goes, oh, I missed my opportunity. Oh wait, another opportunity. Yeah. You can buy the phone again, and and so that's uh, that's essentially what this is. And there, the, you know, the 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 BQ acquires. We've looked at that. You know, in the past, is is going to be a, a yeah. Ubuntu or Canonical's Ubuntu phone. Yeah, and a reminder, it's a 1.3 gigahertz with one gigabyte of RAM, a 4.5 inch display, and 960 by 540 resolution. And there will be one that's more targeted to the U.S. market coming out uh, later, I think, in the summer. So if you're in the U.S., you might want to wait. Although I don't blame you if you want to at least play with the BQ, I would be tempted to. Right. And, well, and the thing is, is I, and, I, and I, I granted I am an idiot when it comes to cell phone technology, but if it's made for uh, Europe, then it would probably have the yeah. GSM, right? And so you it, could. Well, ping. it does, but I believe, um, I believe it will only do two G or three G in the U.S. It won't do four G in the U.S. It doesn't have all of the frequencies. So I okay. think that's kind Fair of Fair enough. Right. But the majority of the time I'm using my phone, I'm either at work where yeah. I have Wi-Fi, or I'm exactly, at home where and it will Wi-Fi. make it will and make as long calls. as. Yeah, so as long as I can get my notifications mm-hmm. when I'm out and about, which mm-hmm. 2G... And you know, there's actually a pretty popular Telegram app for Ubuntu Touch. So mm-hmm. there you go. You could just use Telegram for Ubuntu Touch. Yeah, so you might pick it up. No, I'd be really curious. Uh, I have heard that there are Ubuntu Touch devices on the Ting network right now, so I know it does work. Um, and mm-hmm. I put... When I had when I had, um, when I had uh, Ubuntu Touch on my Nexus 5, I uh, had it on the Ting network and it worked fine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, you definitely, if you do it, let us know how it goes. I will probably be buying the, I think it's what, the M4 or whatever it's called when it ships. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, Two, okay. Yeah, chat room is saying it's 2G speeds. So think about that, man. Think oh, about when okay. you're looking up web pages and stuff. Now, they might be wrong, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. <clears throat> I find myself so infrequently using my actual mobile data. Really? I don't know if I care. And and when I use my mobile data, it's nothing that is dependent on, on particular speeds. The exception to that, the notable exception to that is when I travel. Um, then oftentimes I'm tethering and then... My laptop internet is directly correlated to 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 my phone's uh, network connection, so I would care then. But for most, I'd say nine out of ten days, I'm not I'm not really relying on on super fast speeds. I could totally live with the uh, with two G. 
that wouldn't bother me. Yeah, uh, just in time for T's rightly pointed out, it's going to depend on the carrier, what, what bands you can yeah, support. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but we'll uh, cover it when they have the U.S. one. But uh, if you want to get in on the BQ one, uh, you have to go to the BQ online store. My pro tip, create your account first before the flash sale. Right. Get logged yeah, in. Yeah, because the, the site just bogs down when... Yeah. Uh, when and the, and the number one there. thing that always bogs down is the account server or the order server. So <laughs> just avoid the account server problem altogether. Mm -hmm. All right, Noah. Well, that's all the news for this week. Coming up very soon, and I will tell you all about it as soon as I can. I'm going to have a very important reason to need the most solid remote desktop solution available for Linux. So in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, we're going to break down some of the favorites and some of the ones that Noah has used tried and true for years in the field doing remote desktop support for his clients. Before we dig into all of that, I want to thank our segment sponsor. Sponsor? Sponsor? Oh, I like that. They're our sponsor this week. That is System76, and they've got the new Meerkat. Go meet the new Meerkat over at System76. It is a sweet little rig. We were checking one out on the pre-show, and I, I kind of want one really bad. And I love the fact that when I buy one, I'm getting System76 support and supporting a local Linux vendor. That's how I think of them. I really do. I think of buying from System76 as buying local from like my local produce stand and my local butcher, which I do that as well. It's an important thing for me. They have a bunch of really great rigs, including this brand new Meerkat starting at $4.99 with the System76 logo laser engraved into the top. The Rattel performance up to the Wild Dog and, of course, that Leopard Extreme and that Sable Touch. And now, I'm, now that I've used Touch more and more, I'm a big believer. And also... If you didn't know, they have a brand new laptop that's sitting in that really sweet price point of $5.99 coming very soon, beginning of April. The new Lemur 14-inch laptop with a 5th generation Intel processor starting at $5.99 coming to System76.com. Go get yourself a rig built for Linux so you don't have to fight with the hardware. You just get to play with your Linux. And tell them the Linux Action Show sent you, System76.com. So we've covered a few different remote desktop solutions over the show's history, and it's one of these topics that there's a few contenders that remain over the years, and there's other ones that we've recommended in the past, kind of like Splashtop, that we don't really recommend anymore. So it's time to kind of look at the field and figure out what works good in 2015 for remote desktop under Linux. And Noah, I think you're probably one of the maybe experts on the topic. <laughs> like, this is sort of your bag. Uh, so do you want to start with maybe the more kind of approachable consumer one that we don't, we're not going to spend a lot of time on, like Chrome Remote Desktop? You want to start there? Right. So um, <clears throat> we'll start with this. <clears throat> and, and oftentimes, and this is true of anything in life, the more tools you have, the more toys you have, the faster you can get something done, right? And so for those times that somebody calls in and they say, my printer isn't printing, and the answer is to open the control panel up, right-click on the printer, and click Enabled. Um, yeah. For those times, it doesn't make a lot of sense to drive 45 minutes out to a site to do that. So right. you need to be able to get into those computer, you know, remotely, and you can you can solve a lot of those problems. Additionally, <laughs> it, because of the way that Firefox does that little flash thing, every time it every time the operating system updates, I get a call from my mother, and she goes, <laughs> "My flash doesn't work again. Yeah. I can't get my flash stuff to work." Even though there's that bright red thing up at the top that says "Click here to allow flash," or right. I've told her numerous times, "Just run the updates." For whatever reason, right. I have to log into her computer, click on the update button. And, and yeah. update it. And I have so, one. I have one. I, I'll share mine. My mom calls up, Chris, I don't think my backups are working anymore. I think my backup stopped. Now, do I drive 25 miles south right. to go check mom's backup, or do I remote desktop and just click the enable backups and say, okay, yeah. mom, you're yeah. all set. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so the first one that comes to mind uh, is, or the, one of the easiest ones to get up and running is uh, the Chrome remote desktop. And, and I say that because if you have Chrome installed, you simply click on a new tab, click on the app store, search for a remote desktop and, and install it. And it, it does work. 
the thing I don't like about Chrome Desktop is it gives me this ter uh, it gives me this terribly scary message about if if you install this. I, I tried it out on a Ubuntu fourteen oh four machine. And it says this software is of poor quality. <laughs> Installing it will have unpredicted. And I have no idea. I have no idea if that message holds any water or not. What I do know is that I very much value the operating system that's on my laptop, and I need it to work. And I didn't have time to redo it this week, so. That alone was enough, even though I consider myself relatively experienced uh, working with these computer things. I I would not install that on my laptop. It was enough oh, to turn me off to oh, say I'm okay. not going to do it. I'm I've used it. Use it on a I've used machine. it. It's 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 fine. I've mm -hmm. used it. I've actually what I have found with it is sometimes machines. Even when I I'll, I will intentionally leave Chrome on the machine because I think thought maybe that would help. Uh, and I will, it just will not show as online for some reason. And it's like, what good is a remote okay. desktop support solution for me if it doesn't show online? It doesn't always happen that way, but it happens uh, enough. So I, so I tried it, and I used it. I used it uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and I never had an issue okay. like that. It worked yeah. every time for me. So maybe that's something that's improved over time. Here, yeah, and here's the um, other benefit: it has a pretty decent Android app too, so you can remote into mm -hmm. your machine. Yeah, yeah, and nice. yeah, and 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 that's just it. Uh, you know, um, and there's you have a, a lot of remote solutions leave mobile out, or and, Chromebooks, and, and, or and Chromebooks Chrome includes yeah. it. Yeah, and they have that. So they yeah, have that problem solved. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so that's, that's, that's the first one. Uh, and, and it's it's a great it's a great if you need yeah. something if you just need to get something up and running yeah. and you want a no frill solution that's probably a good way to go. Is it my favorite choice? Probably not. Um, then of course we have to talk about VNC. VNC is like the tried and true uh, you know full on uh, you know remote control solution. The, the problem with VNC is it requires a socket. So essentially you have to well everything requires a socket, but it requires you to manually punch a hole in the firewall to get to a remote machine. So essentially if you have a VNC client and you can use Tiger VNC or of course you can just use Romania which you talked about earlier. Um, you can uh, you can remotely control a computer. Now, oddly enough, here's where I found the most useful place for VNC is when I'm going from a computer onto the same computer. Mm. So, for example, if I have a virtual machine running inside of one computer, mm -hmm. VNC is good enough for that. I can get everything done, and I don't feel like my mouse is constantly lagging and things aren't working. Anytime I've gone over a network, I've locally it's it's okay, yeah, it's usable so locally. Yeah. But over the internet, it is a pain. It works; you can get it done. Mm -hmm. But there are so many more. Uh, there are so many more robust solutions. The only thing I will give VNC is it's truly an open standard. Like everyone can, everyone is implementing a, a VNC solution, right? So, and what the other nice thing is, there's some some remote VNC clients will auto discover all of the VNC machines on your network, and so yeah, if you don't know yeah. the IPs or the names, and the only reason I like that a lot is when I've come in to do remote desktop support, I don't know their network name structure, I don't know their yeah. layout, I don't know their IP scheme, so the fact that right. I can open up a VNC client and just go. Boop, 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 boop. These are all yeah. the VNC machines. Like, ah, mm -hmm. also, also kind of scary if you think about it from that standpoint yeah. as well. Yeah, on, on a network, if you're inside of a LAN, I think that's probably a good solution. Yeah, um, still probably not my favorite. But the other thing I like about it, and what I don't like about uh, about the the next one we're going to talk about is I don't like the fact that, or I do like the fact with VNC, it doesn't require a third service. If you have VNC on one machine and Correct. VNC on the other, it works. That's not true with Chrome. It's not true with TeamViewer. And so TeamViewer is the next one I want to talk about. And the, the thing that I like about TeamViewer is that it allows me to um, get get a list of all the machines that I, I routinely support. Oh, ah, yeah, for sure. You so, just have one spot. That's right. very nice. So TeamViewer, despite what anyone will tell you, works on Windows, Mac, Linux, Android, iOS. I mean, the, yeah, the whole nine I, yards. I've got to be honest. Covered. I had a bias about TeamViewer. I thought TeamViewer was like a wine hack that essentially hasn't been updated for years on the Linux version. Is it current right. under Linux? 
Yeah, it is. So it is wine wrapped. It is definitely, and you can tell if you look, especially in the installer, you can tell it's Windows fonts. But it is such an amazing wine wrapper that it is. It is almost totally transparent. It's to the point that it feels totally Linux like. I get, you know, right. I get my icon up here in the corner. Everything works well. And so they I, ship download links for Linux for it. Like they officially are giving people the right. Like they're making this a product. It's a product in there. Right. So, so the way that TeamViewer release cycle works, they release when they release the latest version, um, everyone gets it. So I get version 10 just when the Windows users and the Mac uh, users get it. So I got permission from a couple clients to 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 show uh, some of their machines. So this cool. one, it's a door. This is a door control system. Um, for and a you, facility, and you have these categorized by different. You have you have business and right. personal. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. So this is. These are all the clients I have. This I, of course, nice. I have my mother this and stuff like that. And I could have now, like the all nice the studio is, machines in there. I could have. I could have family machines in different categories. Uh, I could have my per, my personal machines in different categories. That's great, Noah. So the thing is, uh, the way the licensing structure for TeamViewer works, if for personal, it's free. The, each business has to purchase a license if you want to use it for uh, commercial. And, and because the license is a little expensive, I don't, uh, I won't expensive? pay for the license for anyone. I wait for the clients to, if they're using TeamViewer, that's what I'll recommend to them, and I'll let them do it. But as you can see here, this is kind of interesting. I can go, uh, I can go into their their computer, and this is actually controlling their door system. So if I go up here and I look at, uh, let's see if I can get the monitor started. I can go in here, and I can look and I can actually unlock the door. Hmm. We'll unlock the door. Boy, is that if that's not an old Windows app? I don't. I haven't seen one in a long time. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is this is a this yeah. is a uh, an old old and it's, old it's, computer. It's nice that you can manage this old old Windows computer from a Linux desktop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing this all from 14.04. So if I hit unlock, and it's going to override the time zone. Oh, no doors are selected. We'll do this one. And uh, that so it's converted. while you do that, so there, I've just unlocked the door. Oh, okay. <laughs> and now I'm going to go relock the door yeah. so nobody Lock goes back in up, there. No. Hopefully, <laughs> jeez. Yeah. Um, but all of this is being done remotely, and there's nobody sitting at the other end here, right? Um, so I'll show you because that was too much Windows. Let's go into a Linux computer. Yeah. So here is so here's a client that uses um, Linux, and it's funny. I actually didn't get permission for this ahead of time, so I had to call them during the or text them during the pre-show, and I said, "Hey, you know what I need? I need to be able to get into your computer for a second to show something." So hopefully, she's not using it. Um, so I'll get in here so this is a um i am logged into her computer so i can see yeah, an and this is ubuntu but you'll notice it feels pretty good doesn't it? it feels very 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 uh responsive i'm moving stuff and i'm not sure exactly what the leg with jitsi is but it is extremely responsive Nice. Yeah, we are watching a, through uh, another remote session, but yeah. Yeah, right. That's pretty good. But it, but it's been extremely responsive. And again, nobody on the other end is is asking for anything. I'm not. Uh, I'm just simply double clicking on these computers, and and then they're opening up. And so, <clears throat> if they pay for the TeamViewer license and they install it on their machine, they just give me a number, hmm. and I'm able to go in there and then connect to their computer. Now, the problem with that is that it does require uh, third-party service, and so you got to buy it. it is relying too. Like, on the you got it. So the business version is seven forty nine. The premium version is one is fourteen ninety nine. Now, like you said, you can use it personally for free. But uh, is there any monthly fee after this seven forty nine? Like, if I buy the business version for Jupiter Broadcasting, am I gonna also then have yep. to pay for? A, oh, really? No. No, so the way it works is when you buy the version, you are entitled to that version forever. So you buy version 10, you now own version 10, and then anything that comes out, so, so you've purchased version 10, now you own version 10. Anything that comes out after that, you're no longer entitled to, but you can continue to use version 10. Now, in a newer version can always connect to clients of an older version, mm -hmm. but an older version cannot connect to clients for a newer version. So if you purchase 10, you can never connect to anyone you can never support anyone that has a version newer than 10. So a lot of times businesses okay. that do wide scale support, what they'll do is they'll say, 
you need to have version uh, nine or older. Right. And and that's and that's that's essentially how they do it. So because of that, I don't use TeamViewer for Ultra Speed. I use something else. And what I use uh-huh. is Screen Connect. Screen and Connect, which screen I got to play so with a little bit ago. You did. So if you show your screen, yeah. Um, you will see that uh, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to create a. Actually, you know what I'll do here? I'll start with this. Okay. I'll start. I'll, I'll put my screen up and then I'll show you what it's like to create a session. So from the from the support standpoint, what I do is I log into my portal and I can oh, click okay. here. I'm going to create a remote. And session. this is a web page. So yeah. This is a web page. It's yeah. all web web based. Yeah. And I'm going to call it. Uh, I'm going to call it uh, Lass. Lass. Uh, what is this? Three fifty eight. Three fifty eight. 358. So I can choose it to generate a, a random code. I can send you an email invitation, or I can just do a simple code. I'm going to do a simple code okay. at last 358, and I'm going to create that session. Last 358. So what it's going to so do is it's going to create a, a remote session, and then I'm going to go ahead and join that session. And what and then I'm going to call, then I'm going to uh, I'm going to call you up, and I'm going to go, Mr. Fisher. Uh, my name is Noah. I am. I have seen uh, uh, bad signals coming from your computer. They are they are offensive, and I want to remote in and fix computer for you. Okay. All right. And then you're going to say, okay. Well, what do I do? And so I say, go to this URL right here. Okay, I got this and URL. I want up. you to enter, and then you're going to get prompted for a uh, session code. Yeah. And I want you to enter the session code last three fifty eight. Last three fifty eight. Okay, I'm entering in there. Now, mind you, you. Now, mind you, you have not, you're not installing Screen Connect on your computer. Right. All you're doing is visiting a web page, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm in Firefox. Well, this right is now. nice because it, it doesn't matter if you're using Mac, Windows, Linux, whatever. If you have a web browser that can run Java, I can access your computer. So you have to have um, Ice-T installed. Uh, so I've got yes. Ice-T web yeah. installed. Yeah, you have to have, you have to have, well, and, you have to have a Java plugin. Yeah. Ice-T happens to be my, yeah, that's, that's one the I'm one using. I found. Uh, really and well. so I'm saying, yes, I'm going to allow it. So it asked me if I wanted to trust you. And I say, yes, I trust him. And now it that's says I've good. successfully connected to you. So and now I have access and, and uh, without installing any software and yeah. again this does not rely on any third so service. So minimize is, my we Firefox. We post this ourselves. Minimize my Firefox so they can see that. So in one window I've got your desktop and in my in mm-hmm. another window I've got my desktop. So try minimizing my Firefox window and see if what the delay is there. Uh, do you have a minimization? Here? Yeah, it's over here on the uh, right, over on this. What do you? Or just do that. That's fine too. Can you? Do, is it cut off? Do you not see it here? I'll her. Give me. Yeah, the mouse. I, I, this give me the mouse. No, just give me the mouse. No, this is pretty weird right, to have right. my machine remote you controlled. The there you go. So now you can kind. Yeah. We're kind. We kind of get an idea. There's a little bit of a okay, delay. Yeah, but I see it now. Now does it paint? So right. I'm see, it looks like it paints a little bit in the remote session. Yep. So it's a little VNC. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it is. It is, it, and it, and part of that is because it's. I think that's a limitation of the Java plugin more than anything else. Um, but the, the reality is it is so nice from a support standpoint because I have access to a number of different things. I can transfer files. I can send files to your oh. computer. I can take files from your computer. We can add multiple people to this. So I can have uh, oh. a meeting and have – we can have – can share, I can share different screens. I can, of course, open a chat and send you a message, and we can talk back and forth. Uh, I can exec- – uh, there's a way I can exec- – I haven't used it in a long time, but there's a way to exe- execute uh, terminal commands. And this somehow. is all free. I've done it in the past. Um, but all of this, the, the important part is all of this is, A, being done inside of a web browser, and B, it's being hosted by right. me. So right. we are not, I'm not relying on a third-party service. Yeah. So the, I the, am, I, you know, I, the performance isn't amazing, but at the same time, so even if it's VNC right. in a web browser, it's, you're hosted it, you've branded it too. It's branded AltaSpeed, which is kind of yeah. nice. 
and that's just it. You're not you, nowhere on on our site will you find the words Screen Connect. They allow you to replace all of that with Alta Speed support, and that is really important to us because people. It looks like it's a custom build solution. When we go out to customers, they're like, Alta Speed. Those are the guys that have that, <laughs> that custom uh, remote thing that that it's their own site or whatever. And nowhere in there do they say, Oh, well, they're just using TeamViewer. Oh, they're just using this. No, we have our own solution. Now, the 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 industry standard solution that that works the same way as Bombgar. That is, and 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 that. That is what most places I think are using, but a Baumgar box is going to run you probably by the time you're done with licensing seven to ten thousand dollars. Screen Connect was three hundred and fifty bucks. That's what we paid for. Yeah, yeah. And that gets us, I think, five licenses or something like that, or five simultaneous sessions. Or, or we've never actually reached the the limit that I know of. Um, and if we did, I would hands down. Uh, upgrade our license in a heartbeat because it is it is such a it is such a a, 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 a hallmark tool um, that we have, that we've come to rely on. And again, I don't have to install software on any of our text laptops. I simply tell them go to this website, log in with this username and password, and hand out that same URL to other that people. Is really, I like and, the branding, too. and then we can support it. Especially if you're doing support, I got to give a shout out. The chat room is reminding me too, and we've talked about it before. Guacamole. Mm -hmm. Guacamole is a clientless remote desktop gateway. It supports uh, protocols like VNC and RDP. They say clientless because I don't even think it needs Java. You can use just HTML5, and it's free. It's licensed under the MIT license. Guacamole. It's guac-dev.org. Um, but there is definite advantages to the Java client. And that would be remote commands and file transfers. If that is an important aspect of your remote support, you might want to look at uh, Screen Connect. So it sounds like, Noah, if I'm willing to just use it personally, TeamViewer might be the best way to go for like a handful of machines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where uh, TeamViewer is, is a great solution, it, and, and it works right out of the box. And I'm a huge fan of, of TeamViewer. I use it all the time. My problem becomes cost when it comes to business. And I believe I, I want obviously if there were if there were total open source uh, solution replacements we would hands down be using those since there aren't I'm willing to use the proprietary solutions but it has to fit my budget and I'm not going to steal team viewer software so if they say there's nothing stopping you from right. supporting a business right. physically they, I mean they don't it's not like when you it's you pay it's like the good conscience you don't get a different version uh, when you pay for it it's just you know then in your head that you have paid them for it and so because they're willing to take the first step forward and saying listen we're not gonna we're not gonna give you a crap down version. We're not going to strip it down. We're not going to yeah. handicap it. Yeah. Because they're willing to do that, I then, in return, am not going to I'm not going to use it for for business unless the client is a lot of them pay for TeamViewer anyway, and if that's the case and it's already installed, yeah, sure, we'd be happy to support it. Um, but if but so that's kind of where I break down on it is is I want to support the 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 good nature of TeamViewer, the TeamViewer team for not. Uh, handicapping the software. You and can install it and use the full version, and if you like it, then you pay for it. I said at the beginning, the top of this segment, I said one of the things for us now, having done this a couple of times on this show, is it's interesting to which to see which ones have stuck with it for the long term. <clears throat> VNC, obviously. It's been around forever. Google uh, Chrome Remote Desktop, still kind of new. Can't pass judgment on it. But unquestionably, TeamViewer has hung in this for a very long time. They have been in this game for some, for really, as selling it as a commercial product for as long as anybody else, and they have been supporting the Linux version for a very long time. And so when I, one of the things I want is I want to pick something, and I want to put it on people's computers, and I want to know that two years later, they're still going to have it, and it's still going to work, and that, that one time they call me up, I, have, I don't have to go, oh, man, I wish you were using, oh, yeah, you still have Splashtop? Yeah, I quit using that uh, about six months ago. Um, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want that situation ever again. And I feel like TeamViewer is the solution for me then because TeamViewer is going to stick around for the long yeah. haul. Yeah. Yeah. And I've talked to the team. I've talked to the guys at TeamViewer before and I said, listen, are you guys just dabbling in Linux or is this going to be a real thing? And every time I've gotten the same answer is no, listen, that we're, we are here to stay. This is going to be, this is going to be the thing that, you know, that we're going to, we're going to hang on to and we're, we're going to keep supporting Linux. And, and so far that's been true. I've been using, I started using TeamViewer. There was a company I did support for that had TeamViewer in every one of their machines. And I started doing, I supported, I supported, started supporting them back in, I think TeamViewer 7. And 7, 8, 9, and 10 have all been the second it gets released for Windows and Mac, I get a Linux version. Hmm. So That's pretty respectful. And I, like you said, it might be wine-wrapped, but it's a beautiful wine-wrapper. It works flawlessly. I have yeah. had zero problems, no performance issues. Now, I don't see any advantage of the Windows version over the Linux version. And that's coming from literally use of using it, years of using it in production, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've, I, mean, I use it daily. Daily. And that's not an exaggeration. And... and, and, and the other thing that's nice is they have an Android app. So uh, a lot of times, like for my mother, that's that's what I actually use. I use TeamViewer when I get into her computer, and um, I use my Android phone, and I'll pull it up. Yeah, and the cool. way that they have implemented TeamViewer on Android is perfect. Brilliant. They You can move, yeah, you can drag the screen around with your finger, and to click as a mouse click, you can click anywhere on the screen, but you have a cursor that... Ah. It's, it's very hard to explain, but you, you, can, you move your thumb around, to, the cursor stays in the center, and you can move the, the screen around until the cursor's over what you want, and then you tap the screen anywhere on the screen, and it clicks. It is, it's a phenomenal uh, implementation of Android. And so you log in, it just gives you a list of all your machines. Uh, Mr. Mango in the chat room says, uh, TeamViewer is great, paid, but I use it for, uh, I've used it under Linux for two years, uh, works well at a company. And he, uh, they use Windows at work, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm liking the UI for Android too, man. This is pretty great. So uh, sounds like Screen Connect and TeamViewer and Guacamole are some pretty good contenders. If you just mm-hmm. need something simple, maybe for yourself uh, or for a couple machines in your house, Google Chrome Remote Desktop works under Windows, Mac, and Linux, and we've both used it to an extent. Uh, and, of course, there's just good old VNC as always too. Uh, and uh, there is X2Go out there, but... X2Go is something, I think, for a separate topic. I see the chat room's talking about it right now. I think X2Go is more of a, what if I wanted to build a totally remote desktop that I like logged into and lived in that? Um, this segment was more about rem- remotely managing an existing X session or an existing Windows session. Uh, you need to see the screen. You have a user sitting there, and you need to support them. Or you've got a system where there's something running up at the console, and you need to get to that. Like I'll give you a like a really simple example that one of the one of the things I've used uh, VNC and Splashtop before is I'll have a couple of machines here in the studio that have handbrake up because I'm using them like uh, as a one-off. Like, oh, today I need to use this computer to encode. I never use this computer, but you know what? It's got a great i7, so I'm going to launch handbrake and I'm going to encode the, the, the episode on this computer today and only today. Well, an encode takes quite a while, so it's nice to be able to step away and just bring up that console session I already have on the desktop and be like, oh, yeah, it's about halfway done, and then close it. You know, it's simple stuff like that, but tools that allow you to see what's already existing on the screen are a completely different category, in my opinion, than tools like X2Go, which allow you to have a complete remote desktop session where you're totally logged mm-hmm. in and doing everything there. And I think that could be its own show as well. Right, right. Cool, no. All right, any other uh, things you want to touch on on the remote desktop section? No, I. Uh, it's it's one of those things where the, the best way to figure out what's going to work for you is go out and try it. Um, I, can tell you that, I can tell you that we view Screen Connect um, because... You know why we use Screen Connect. I tell you why people use TeamViewer, but really, th- what it's going to be yeah. is you're going to have to go and try yeah. it for yourself and see yeah. what you and see what you think and yeah. what works. For and you. check out the No Machine stuff as well, and uh, let us know how it goes for you. And uh, we'll uh, we'll keep checking in as these things change, and maybe we'll have future segments about. 
I, I seriously fantasize about creating myself like a cloud desktop on like a, a droplet somewhere that I just log into and from every computer. Um, I've done it before. I think I'd do it again, but I think there's cooler ways to do it in uh, 2015. But anyways, we'll end it right there, and uh, we'll save all that stuff for a future edition of the Linux Action Show. We'd love to hear your suggestions on remote desktop solutions. Just go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com or send it in via email. Just click that contact link at the top of the website and choose Linux Action Show from the drop-down. But Noah, that wraps up our look at remote desktop solutions for Linux. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. Before we get out of here, we're going to do a little emails from you guys. First one comes in from Nate. He says, clearing up a few Cody things. Hey, guys, I want to send you a message about your review from episode 337. For the most part, I liked it, but there were a couple of issues we wanted to point out here. Admittedly, most of the problem was on our side than yours. First of all, the library feature you talked about where the movies and TV shows show up on the main bar have actually been part of Cody XMC since 2009. See, and this is good since we're not Cody users. So we don't know. The issue that Noah ran into, though, with this feature, I'm guessing, is the issue many users experience. There is a screen called Set Content that many users simply click through without actually setting the content of the video source. So you tell Cody if it's movies, TV shows, or whatever. As they're adding the content, you do this when you're adding the folder to Cody. This is a GUI problem that we are well aware of. We need to do a better job of highlighting the screen and actually making sure people use it correctly, because as long as they don't, they're missing one of the best and most important features of Cody. Oh, that's actually a really good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Uh, it is a super critical selection. The second issue may be my fault and possibly the fault of our website a bit. For users really looking for an appliance-like experience where you never have to leave the Kodi interface, we really recommend you using OpenELEC over Kodibuntu. Kodibuntu these days is really more just Ubuntu that happens to have Kodi pre-installed and showing as the first screen you see. For an experience where you're never supposed to leave the Kodi screen, OpenELEC is much better and has a Wi-Fi picker and everything. We hope to make this a bit clearer in the near future. Nate. So, date from the Cody team wrote, and that's really cool. It's some good stuff. Yeah, it was. And so, essentially, what I took away from the feedback was, A, they agreed with, our, with, with my assessment of the fact that wireless is, in fact, a needed feature. Um, but really, what it comes down to is that's not, a, that's not the job of Cody to provide that. It's, it's the job of the underlying OS to do that. And, and Cody Buntu is not, uh, is not the best choice for that open elect is. And to their credit, as I said earlier in the show, when you use OpenELEC, all those problems, they just go away. Hmm. And then Cody shines. Yeah. Um, but it, was in, it, it is interesting that they, <clears throat> it, is, it, was, it, was, it was encouraging to me that they, that they acknowledge that some of these things are issues and that I, I wasn't the only one that experienced these same problems and it is something that they're looking to resolve. So simply, and I think you could, I think you could clear most of that stuff up just by putting a link to OpenELEC on the website. And if, saying, if you want an appliance thing, if you don't know where else to start, start here by downloading this and then you can, you know, mm -hmm. you, you, know you want to tweak, then I you can go I bet that gets there. changed. I bet they do. Uh, mm -hmm. Next email comes in from Napoleon. You want to take this one? That's an, I think it's mm -hmm. another Cody it says, one. Hi, guys. I just saw your viewer on Cody today. Did you know that you can record a stream from Cody by defining FFmpeg, RTMP dump, and VLC as an external video player? <laughs> cool. So you can record the video you are watching or record the video stream in the background and watch another video. I have made a two-hour video tutorial on YouTube on how to set it up. Wow. Here. And then he gives the link. So this is the kind of stuff that where open source like Rocks. really, really shines. Yeah, just swap right? out is, your back-end player. 
Just swap it out. Right. But, <laughs> but where? What other software can you do something in like this? What other software can I can I take and say I'm going to record this in the background? Then I watch yeah. this vid video up front, and yeah. because I'm sending this video stream to that place, well, and this video stream to this place, and you know, to the front. In most cases, the they can't. Like take iTunes for example. Uh, they can't. They they can simply cannot allow you to swap out the back end because then you could probably pirate the uh, iTunes purchase content. You could record a separate stream of it. Right. Look at any commercial player. They usually have some sort of commercial incentive to not allow you to swap out the back end player. Mm -hmm. Even Plex. Mm -hmm. You know, Plex, to a degree, you can change out like which versions of FFmpeg it uses, and you can change out which version of the Plex decoder it uses, but you really can't change it too much, right? Not to the level yeah, you can and, with Cody. And, and Chris, guess what Plex is based on? Hmm? Hmm. XBM. <gasps> what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 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 Apparently, it turns out, this turns is another out. thing that, that came out. Yeah. This, uh, and actually, I think I knew this back oh, I when, too, I, yeah. when I was looking into Plex, but um, I'd forgotten um, that basically major components of Plex were based off yeah. of the coding. Do you remember, project, so. do you remember the Boxy UI, too? Is also uh, The early Boxy yeah. UI was based off XBMC mm -hmm. as well. The Boxy box. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So our last email comes in from Parameter Pay, and uh, it's about Linux Group, where he says, Hi, Noah's enthusiasm about converting companies to Linux got me motivated to try to do it in my own company as well. I'm a sysadmin for a small company, just six employees, and already started moving to open source systems, PFSense, FreeNAS, the ELK stack. The next part I want to change is Windows Server, which is used as a terminal server and an email server, M. Damon. I will probably not be able to get all employees to switch to Linux workstations in the near future, but I would at least like to be able to replace the email server, which handles emails, calendar, and contacts. We use Outlook with a slow plugin on Windows and IMAP plus sys, uh, sins, CML client uh, for Android phones. Uh, so uh, basically a nice IMAP client for Android phones. What would you recommend for handling email plus calendars plus contacts with good support for syncing? I wouldn't mind replacing Outlook with Thunderbird, but for employees to accept the new solution, it will probably have to support at least everything our current solution does. And outsourcing isn't really an option. Just discovered last, but now I can't stop watching. Thanks, guys. Uh, Noah, do you have any suggestions off the top for a solution for parameter P? Um, so I, uh, I'm, I'm looking through here, make sure I have all of his needs down. Um, <clears throat> I guess... Um, I, I've always replaced Outlook with Thunderbird. In fact, they even have a theme that makes it look like Outlook um, for those those picky people that just have to have. Uh, what about uh, on the Outlook back end though for the contacts and the calendaring? Yeah, um, I see two yeah. ways to go. Actually, yeah. I see three ways. I got here's why. Number one, you could go own probably cloud. your safest route. Yeah, own cloud for the contacts mm -hmm. and the calendar. Standard IMAP for your email. Use RoundCube for the webmail client. Something like that. You can even there's even mm -hmm. RoundCube uh, own cloud app. That's option number one, and that's I, I kind of like that to be honest. It's kind of in my in my view the cleanest because OwnCloud is going to continue to innovate on the contacts and calendaring. Mm -hmm. They've already got app syncing set up. Uh, you're you're already they've already got all the guides in the world for integrating with any client you want. There's a lot of community support, and since you're a small team, that's a really great wagon to hit yourself to. The other one, a little bit more removed, something you might want to seriously consider, Colab. Colab is a free software uh, groupware suite. Uh, that is pretty slick. And since uh, the whole NSA stuff has gotten a lot of attention, and I would recommend you could also check out Colab now. I know you said outsourcing isn't a great option, but this is a really great service and the pricing is extremely reasonable. It's built on really true, sound, open source technology, and the pricing is pretty low. And they even accept Bitcoin. So that's Colab. And then last but not least, it's like the open source community's version of Exchange now. 
there's Zoom, Zumbra, Zimbra, Zimbra. Boy, God, am I getting older? What? Zimbra, which uh, is, it's like an exchange killer. In fact, it's better than exchange because it uses SQL for the backend storage of the email. So things like Searcher mm-hmm. are way better than they are under exchange. Uh, you can download it for free. There's hosted solutions. Uh, they have an open source uh, free aspect and then the paid aspect. Uh, and so uh, Zimbra is sort of a uh, heavyweight in this area. And it has not just the calendar, not just the email, but the full-on collab. Like it's almost more like a whole Google Apps replacement. It's got doc collaboration and stuff like that too. So Zimbra, Colab, um, and OwnCloud. And the nice thing about the OwnCloud solution, like Noah's saying, is you could go OwnCloud with Thunderbird. Thunderbird could manage the email. You could have the sync to your phone. So that's a couple of great ways to go, Parameter P. Parameter P. Hey, if you happen to be in the Grand Forks, North Dakota area and just want your very own Noah, well, you could. Over at altaspeed.com, go check out Altaspeed, Noah's day job. The leader, the leader, they say, in open source technology in the Grand Forks area. And I don't doubt it. And uh, you know the man knows how yeah, to do I don't it. Think there's, I don't think there's anyone else that's, uh, that, that's heavily promoting open source in our area. But the, the, the nice thing is, is we have found ways, you know, anyone that works with open source figures out pretty quickly, you can accomplish the same things that you could get in proprietary software, except you can do it at a fraction of the cost. And so that's kind of what we work with is we, we try and implement the same solutions that you would get I would argue uh, at too. a higher cost, at a lower cost. Uh, same functionality without compromising quality, but at a lower cost. I think you should add something in there. I'm just going to give this to you for free, just as an idea guy, Noah. Okay. Not only is it lower cost, but it's more sustainable because uh, the open source products have this generally this long curve, just steady pace of development, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. even totally worst case scenario, when the open source project gets abandoned, the code is there, so you're not left hanging. Commercial products are much more cyclical. You know, they fo- they they much more likely to follow hip trends in the market, uh, change and, re- and add and remove functionality, or mm-hmm. even maybe deviate from their core definition based on what their market thinks they should be responding to, what their marketing department thinks they should be responding to. And right. to me, or refuse to activate $25,000 software because its uh, newer version came out and you didn't pay the support contract. Yeah, that or you're, yeah, you've lapsed, a year, you've lapsed a year in your support contract or something like that. Right. Uh, to me, that is the long-term non-sustainable disadvantage to uh, mm-hmm. commercial software. And so when we talk about open source software and things like that, I think one of the things we should also mention is this, it is not just free software, but is sustainable software. And that's right. really important for businesses. Yeah, and, and the, the, the one thing that seems to lack with open source is businesses, the, the traditional way of supporting open source software is you go onto the forums, you go onto the internet, jump onto the IRC. Businesses aren't going to do that. A lot of businesses, they just need it to work, and they don't have the time to sit down there and, 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 and shuffle through the minutia of, of how to get things to work. And that's, that's the gap that we're trying to fill is we say, listen, if you want to use Thunderbird instead of Outlook, don't worry about you're not paying Microsoft so you don't have anyone to call to help. We'll come help you. We'll get it set up. We'll make sure it works. And when you have problems with it, we'd be happy to come fix it. Except the latter part never seems to fall through because we don't seem to have the problems mm-hmm. with this business. But oh, but I'm bummed. If you ignore that, then then it's a great way to go. All right. So get a hold of the show. Go to Jupiter Broadcasting. Click the contact link. Send in an email. Or you can email uh, Noah and I directly. I'm Chris at Jupiter Broadcasting. He's Noah at Jupiter Broadcasting. But the best place, the Linux Action Show subreddit. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Links, feedback, app picks, runs Linux submissions, all that stuff. A great place because we're in that place all the time. Plus, it puts it in front of the community and they can comment on it. And I use the insights over there from our community members to help sort of form our thoughts and our impressions or see if I'm way off on something. So it's a really great sort of sounding board to kind of see what the community thinks about an aspect too. And it helps. It doesn't make the show, but it definitely helps make the show better. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Noah, is there anything else we need to plug before we get the F out of here? That's it. So far, we are tempting with the idea. I don't know if we're going to do it yet, but we're tempting with the idea of recording on Friday next week to make room mm-hmm. for Easter Sunday, which is next Sunday. 
So check jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar if you're a live viewer because we might be live on Friday instead of Sunday with the hope being that we could have the show out Sunday morning for you and uh, people take the Easter Sunday off. So we'll, uh, we'll update the calendar as we make our final arrangements But so we might not have our live show on Sunday next week. It might be on Friday. And that's it. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. We'll see you right back here next week. If you price out, if you look at the, I, th- I haven't priced it out. out. It's no, I, haven't. I didn't. It's, it's, it's up for pricing it's, now, right? I think it's two ninety nine for the actual <laughs> look that they're using, and then you've got to throw RAM in there because they're including four gigs. So that's another what thirty bucks, and then they've got a hard drive, and what, what, I think that it starts. Uh, what's the cheapest hard drive that you can buy? Fifty bucks, and they're selling it for four ninety nine. So they're making. Uh, by the time you get, uh, actually no, you know what? I think it was three twenty nine, wasn't it? Hold on, I'm gonna look it up. Um, yeah, I should go look. I don't it know. worked out. It worked out. I to go, I I'm gonna go price like one right now. seventy bucks off of you. All right, so let's go price one. So, uh, so let's go. Let's go meet the meerkat. Some an interesting little uh, experiment. You know what's really getting annoying? What's that? Really getting annoying what's really that? fast. What's that? Okay, three eighty nine for the Intel i five version that uh, they're basing the meerkat off. Of. Three eighty nine. So we're starting at almost four hundred bucks, and plus they're adding RAM and they're adding the the hard disk in there, and you get you're getting the support from System seventy six. So if you have a problem with it, you're not on Amazon trying to return it or to return individual right. parts or right. anything like that. Right. And and um, and any profit you are any profit they are collecting is a lot of it's going to go back into. Supporting Linux, but let's uh, oh, just did. let's just let's just price this thing out. Like if I was going to make a little mini desktop, 16 gigs, I'd go with a 256 or a 250 gigabyte uh, solid. Okay, hold state. on, you, hold on. Let's do this. You do it there. I'm going to do it on Amazon. Okay. Okay. And you're going to do what? Would you say we're doing 256? All right. So hold on. Let's. Uh, so those of you who are just joining us live, we'll start right now because I'm kind of curious. So I'm going to do a Meerkat. I'm going to I'm going to deck it out like if I was. Well, should I? You know what? Let's let's spec it like I was going to build it for my son. Because that's my next computer I think I'm going to get is the one for, for Dylan. So let's go 8 gigabytes of RAM. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's go 250 gigabyte SSD. What do you think? You think that's good for games? You think I need more than that? No. that's. I that's could go, but I could also go, <clears throat> what about going What about going 120 gigabyte solid state for the OS and then doing like a fi- 500 gigabyte? So he's not going to care about load time, right? Yeah, that's true. But does he really? How much data is he really going to store? Well, Minecraft and maybe three or four Steam games. Okay. So All let's right. go. Let's do so that. Th- it has two drive bays. It has yeah, one, it does. Because you have to, you have to do M-set. one. You have to do one as a M, uh, as a uh, M point two solid state. So you know those little. Okay. Uh, you know that you know the, the bigger nuts can take M-set. the two types of yeah. Yeah. Uh, and let's do uh, let's do five hundred gigabytes. Okay. For uh, I'm tempted to say seven fifty, but let's do five hundred gigabyte. And that's a 2.5-inch, 7,200 RPM spinning drive. Okay? Okay. And so Noah is matching on Amazon right now as, uh, as we do. And we're doing 500 gigabyte, 2.5-inch, right? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Uh, so I have it up on my screen now, too, so you can see it, too, Noah, if you need to look at the playback. So, and then uh, I'm going to need a display, but uh, mm. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Should I, should I do a display from System76 or... Well, it's up to you, but the I mean, reality I, is, he is needs that a monitor. The display is a display, right? They're not. You're gonna buy it, you, no matter. Yeah, what and I kind of just right? since you know it's this is supposed to be a present, I kind of just want to have it all just sort of handled. So I'm tempted yeah. to say a 23 inch 1080p IPS display. He doesn't need anything okay. bigger than that. So 23 uh, 1080p, it's 99 bucks. Uh, I'm gonna. I already have. A, well, you know what? No, I'll use speaker. I already have speakers. Uh, keyboard and mouse. I'm just gonna get a like a Logitech MK200 desktop set. 
the, the uh, desktop MK200. So I'm ha- I'm having a hard time finding a display for 99 bucks. <clears throat> what are you finding them for? Uh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. What's oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. I said 99. I'm sorry. It was 199. <laughs> sorry, no, that's why. <laughs> what did he bump his camera? Oh, there. Hi there. <clears throat> so okay, so let's let's review my specs so far. 120 gigabytes for uh, probably Mate, uh, uh, Ubuntu Mate edition. Uh, I don't know, whatever releases at the time. I guess it'd probably be the 1404. I, I don't know. All right. Uh, so I'm having a hard time finding Yeah, because I'm an a... idiot. No, no, I'm an idiot. It's 199 no, for the monitor. Okay, all right. Yeah, all right. 199 all right. So whatever you can find that's 1080p, uh, just to make it, a, I think, you know, I think they're doing like Asus or I think they're pretty nice brands from System76, so. Yeah. Okay, and no speakers, and I'm going to do the Logitech uh, MK200 speakers. Uh, I'm sorry, mouse and keyboard. So that way he pretty much just has like a full ready-to-go set. You know what I mean? Just like, here you right. go, Dylan. <clears throat> now, what is your price at right now? All right. I am at... Do you want to... Can you show your screen or is that too tricky? Yeah, I can. Okay. So I am at... Here it comes. Boom, boom, boom. All right. You are at uh, 770. 770.88. <clears throat> and with an Asus monitor... 2.5 inch gigabyte, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, 500 gigabyte, 120 gigabyte SSD, uh, and that is uh, 8 gigabytes of RAM and the Intel NUC i5. All right, so, and I am at 922 right now. Right. But you have to <clears throat> you have to think about this, though, too. For the same reason that when I go to, when, when I go to look at purchasing a firearm, I will buy it from Cabela's over Walmart, even though Walmart has a better price, because I know that Cabela's has my firearm rights they care about them, and Walmart just cares about making a buck. And by the same token, Amazon doesn't really care about the future of Linux. So can you I can, look can at I that. be honest you with can... you too? And this is just me. Uh, the other the other reality of it is because this will have a warranty. In fact, I might even mm-hmm. buy. This. How much more is it to get the extended warranty? Let me see this. I might even get the two year extended warranty for hundred bucks because honestly, I'm busy. Like, we have two computers right. sitting in our hallway right now at my house that are waiting for me to fix three. We have three computers at my house right now that have been waiting around for more than a month for me to fix them. So, right. uh, and one at the studio. Two yeah. at the studio. Shut up, Noah. Shut up. So basically, I just don't fix computers because I'm just... Not that I, I like it. I like to do it. That's why I keep telling people, yeah, I'll fix it because I enjoy it. I just never have time. Uh, so with a warranty, Angela could call that in, right? And then she could, like, from the house... Angela could call System76 or she could email them and she could mail it and she could get it all fixed and I would never have to be involved. Right. That's almost priceless. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why, yeah. Yeah. Uh, makes, so, But I'm not sure, different. yes, but I'm not sure if NUC is the right way to go or, uh, you know, they have a new yeah. laptop coming laptop. out soon too. And then you could bring it to the studio. Yeah. And school. <clears throat> we do need a hardware intern. You know, that might be a good, uh, I actually have somebody that might... Uh, I have an idea about that. Yeah, and really, if I was going to drop that RAM down, I could probably get the price. And if I, okay, so if I draw, if I bought my own monitor and had my own keyboard and mouse, which would be a lot of the audience, right? That's probably a pretty good chunk of the audience. Oh, you know what? So my price needs to come up a little bit because I didn't include a keyboard and mouse. You can add another 20, 30 bucks in there, whatever it is. Yeah. So let's say if I was the audience, let's, I would say the audience is probably going to often get 16 gigabytes of RAM, right? Because they're baller. Uh, uh, but we're, we do want to keep it cheap. So let's keep 120 gigabyte solid state and the 500 gigabyte data drive. Like we could, we would put our home drive maybe on this, or maybe VAR on the five, right. whatever you want, however you want to. I don't know if VAR would actually be a good idea. 
Uh, but we let's assume we have our own display because we're kind of, you know, this is for us. And then right. it's 877 with 16 gigabytes of RAM, two drives. Mm -hmm. That's much, that's, you know, that's, that's pretty reasonable. That's closer mm -hmm. to what you've priced there. And then you've got a System 76 rig. So, right. It's, but it's tough. It's still going to be, I think it's still in that, in that range where <clears throat> it's only probably going to primarily appeal to people who, who understand the value of A, having support and B, contributing to the wider ecosystem. That is a niche. And, that's not even and like. To be the, honest with you, I value the the contribution to the ecosystem more than the support. I mean, let's face it. Anyone that's by the time you get to the point that you're buying a System 76, there's a there's a it's a niche market to begin with. There's even fewer people yet that aren't gonna, that wouldn't ordinarily be able to support it themselves, right? Right. I think we're kind of kidding ourselves if most we think the most of the audience really needs actual support. What they, uh, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, I just think it's so. That's I guess what you're trying to say is. And this is what I was trying to say is I, I think I really like the machine and I I also kind of wish it was a product like a year ago as well. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad it's here now. And to be honest, uh, the chips that are in these things are better now and the drivers that are in the Linux kernel are at a better state than they were a year ago. <laughs>